0: We are again in Psalm 19, so please open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Follow with me as I read. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This simple gold ring on my left hand is priceless to me. It is my most valuable piece of jewelry because it symbolizes God's gift to me of a faithful wife. Originally, this ring belonged to another man, my wife's great-grandfather. And after we got engaged, her grandmother gave her this ring and said, feel free to use this for Paul. And so Karen took it to a local jeweler and had it trimmed and resized and all of that and placed it on my finger over 37 years ago. It is a beautiful and valuable thing to me. Yet as valuable as the gold is that was used to make this ring, there is something that is of more value. And it is the Scriptures. It is the very Word of God. As David has testified here in Psalm 19, that the Word of God is more valuable than gold, sweeter than the honey that drips out of the honeycomb. Today, we're going to be looking in Psalm 19 for the third consecutive Sunday. And you may remember from the last two Sundays that Psalm 19 is all about the revelation of God. The first six verses speak of the revelation of God in his world through creation, and the rest of the psalm speaks of the revelation of God in his word, or scripture. And God shows his power in both forms of this revelation. In creation, he shows his power, his majesty, his might, his sovereignty, his authority, his brilliance. As a designer, in scripture, God shows his power in other ways, in his kindness and his love and his unending grace toward sinners like us who need to be redeemed. We learned a couple weeks ago that creation, or the revelation that we see in creation, is enough to hold man accountable to God— But it is not enough to save him. That's where the gospel enters in. That's where special revelation enters in. That's where scripture enters in. We need the gospel in order to be saved. We need the special revelation of God in scripture to know how to be saved and then how to live as those who are saved. So to be saved and to be sanctified. Steve Lawson says it this way, while the sun and the skies above reveal the existence and infinite power of God, Scripture reveals the only way to know God personally. So in creation, we can know about God, but we cannot know God through through creation. We must have Scripture in order to have a relationship with God. To know that he is holy and we are not. And that to be saved we must be reconciled to this holy God. And God has taken all of that upon himself in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then last Sunday we looked at verses 7 and 8 and we took note of some of the attributes of God's word. And the activities that it performs in our hearts Look back to verse 7 just for a quick review. We noticed that Scripture restores our souls to the fullness of life with God. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The soul is the inner man, that's the immaterial part of us. Scripture has the power to bring the inner part of us to life. We are born spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says before we are saved, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. God uses Scripture, specifically the gospel, as the power of God into salvation to awaken us and to breathe a new life into our soul. It revives the soul. It speaks into the nooks and crannies of the immaterial person. That we cannot see. The Spirit of God can do within us through the Word of God what nothing else can do. We notice also that uh, Scripture replaces our inborn foolishness with wisdom. Verse 7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, what God says to us about Himself in Scripture is sure, it's reliable. And it takes simple-minded people and makes them wise. So the longer we are under the authority of Scripture, the longer we listen to God in Scripture and apply to our lives, the wiser we become. We learn to walk in wisdom rather than the foolishness that we were born with. Psalm ninety-four nineteen says, When the cares of my heart are many... Your consolations cheer my soul. That ties in beautifully with what David says in verse 8. The precepts of the, of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. In times of sadness, times of sorrow, times of grief, times of pain, God can speak to our innermost being with the most beautiful, comforting truth his consolations as psalm ninety-four nineteen calls them when the cares of my heart are many your consolations cheer my soul where do you turn when the cares of your life are many when you are overtaken by the sorrows or the anxieties of life where do you turn God meets us where we're at with his word. And then we notice in the second part of verse 8 that scripture reveals the light of truth to our eyes, opening the eyes of our heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We are born into this world spiritually blinded to the truth. We see ourselves. We look within ourselves. Scripture directs us to look outside of ourselves for the ultimate help and hope that we need. And God uses Scripture to open our eyes and give us discernment. In fact, this was part of the Apostle Paul's ministry as, uh, as God called him at the moment of his conversion uh, and then later reinforced this. He said that, His call from God was to take the gospel to the Gentiles for this purpose, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. The gospel is what God uses to open the eyes of unbelievers to cause them to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus and to want him. That is the spirit of God's work. Now this morning we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. I had originally planned to also delve into verse 11, but I'm going to save that for next week. There just is way too much there. So we'll look just at verses 9 and 10. And here again we're going to see the sufficiency of Scripture to minister to our deepest internal, immaterial needs, as well as to be our trustworthy guide for life. That brings us then to our big idea this morning, which is this. God's Word is our trustworthy guide and our most precious possession. God's Word is our trustworthy guide and our most precious possession. This book from God will never lead us astray, ever. It is absolutely trustworthy. And our responsibility as followers of Christ is to study it so that we are approved servants of God, that we learn more and more every day of how God wants us to live out this new life that he has given to us in Christ. This is our trustworthy guide, but this is also our most precious possession on earth. It is the very mind of God in written form. It is the only way that we can know the will of God and be confident that we are following the Lord as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and apply it to our lives. When I think about the immeasurable value of the word of God, I think about two short parables that Jesus told uh, to illustrate the value of the kingdom of God or the, <clears throat> the value of knowing God, the value of having a relationship with him and pursuing that. He says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field great excitement and joy i have found a treasure and i'm going to buy it and do everything i can to get it later next verse actually in matthew 13 verse 45 jesus says again again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, what grabs me the most about these parables is the consideration of the kingdom of heaven as a treasure to be hunted. And and I ask myself, is that how we view Christ, the kingdom of heaven, and his word? Do we view it as a treasure to be hunted? Do we search its depths? Do we study its pages that we might know the Lord more deeply? Because we search for things that are most valuable to us. Let me ask you a couple of simple questions that apply to this day and age that we live in. Do you hunt your Bible as fervently as you hunt for your phone when it is lost? Just think about that. When was the last time you lost your phone? You may have turned your house upside down to find it. Do we turn the Bible upside down and inside and out, and do we search and hunt it for the life-giving, soul-sustaining truth? Bread that our souls need to feed on. Do you study the pages of your Bible with the same fervor that you surf the pages of your social media accounts? These are questions for all of us to think about. Just as a way to challenge our hearts and to cause us to say, what is really the most valuable thing In my life, what do I love the most? They're convicting questions because they hit us where we're at today. But according to Scripture, the revelation of God in His Word is our most valuable treasure on earth. Do we long to learn it so that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Psalm 86, verse 11 and 12, expresses this hungry, teachable heart that, that I want, and I, I love to pray these verses. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. What a marvelous prayer that would be for us every time we open the Scriptures. Every time we open it in a study or every time we open it in our personal devotions to, to be honestly from, the Lord, from our heart be able to say, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What does that mean? That means take your word and do internally what needs to change in my heart, that I revere and love you more than anything. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. The word of God is filled with riches for us to mine out for the well-being of our souls and the soundness of our minds. Now, this morning, God wants you to appreciate three more characteristics of Scripture. Number one, God's word is pure. God's word is pure. Look at verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord here refers to the reverence and knowledge of God. This is the same fear of the Lord that we find in a number of other places in the Old Testament. For example, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the only knowledge worth knowing begins with knowing God and knowing His truth. And it's through the lens of His truth that then we are able to discern the value of all other knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. We need wisdom, right? We have enough knowledge. We're living in, in a day and age in which knowledge, there's more knowledge available to us than any of us could possibly intake. The question is, do we have wisdom what are we doing with the biblical knowledge that we take in? Are we prayerfully, with the Spirit's help, applying it to our lives? Are we letting it do that inner work of changing the way that we think and changing the desires of our hearts? This fear of the Lord, this another name for scripture, David says is clean, can mean to be made clean. It, speaks of being ceremonially clean or morally clean. In other words, the point here is that God's word has the power to sanctify us, to clean us. And it doesn't clean us the way the Pharisees cleaned themselves, only on the outside, in order to be able to pretend they were someone they were not. God's word cleans us up on the inside, progressively, causing us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The fancy theological word for that is sanctification. All it means is to be made like Jesus, to be made more and more holy and clean and pure. So Scripture sanctifies us by changing our innermost desires and the thoughts of our mind And it's connected to the fear of the Lord because a person's attitude towards Scripture reveals their true attitude toward the Lord himself. If a person says that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, but they don't really care about the Bible, there's a big question mark above their testimony of love for God. Because loving God includes loving His Word. Loving God includes loving the things that He has said to us, the things that He has revealed to us. And so a person's attitude towards Scripture reveals their heart attitude toward the Lord Himself. So if we fear God, if we have a deep reverence for Him, then we are also going to be growing in our depth of respect for the Word of God. The more we love God, the more we will become lovers of the word of God. The more we re- will realize that it truly is more to be desired than gold. We should long for this truth of God to, to be aimed at our innermost parts, the way that uh, the author of Hebrews testifies in 4.12. In for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I've said it before, but the Bible is the only living book on the planet. Every other book is dead. But Scripture is alive with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's like a laser in the hands of a surgeon doing its work inside of us. It can even expose our motives, expose our thoughts as either being right or wrong. It can do within us what nothing else can do. And that's why it's so foolish for a pastor like me or anyone who is responsible for teaching God's word, anyone in any kind of biblical ministry, to walk away from the scriptures. Because the only power for ministry is the inherent power of scripture itself used by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why I don't really work hard to make Scripture relevant to you. I don't have to make it relevant. It is always relevant. I don't determine and make it relevant. My goal in preaching is to help you to see that it is always relevant. It always applies to our lives. It always applies to the struggles of our heart and our mind and it always applies even to the suffering that we endure God's Word is powerful it changes the way that we think Paul taught this to the Ephesians in chapter 4 we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and Romans 12 that we are to be renewed in our mind so that we are then transformed in our life. The way to be renewed in our mind is to saturate our mind with Scripture and let Scripture have the authority that God says it has over the ways that we think and the choices that we make. So God's Word transforms us by, by... this intake of fresh water. It's like if you have dirty water in a glass, how do, you, how do you replace that dirty water? You put pure water in, you just keep putting it in until all of the dirty water just kind of flushes out the sides, right? And all that's left inside is the pure water of truth. And that's, no matter how long we've been saved, there's still dirty water in our thinking. There's still dirty water in our desires. But the pure spring water of Scripture, as we take it in, it causes that to be removed and replaced. In Ephesians 5, husbands are exhorted to love their wife like Jesus loves us, his church. Notice how Jesus shows this love to us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her that's there's that word sanctify her what does that mean having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so this is jesus washing us Remember when Jesus in John 13 was washing the disciples' feet and he comes to Peter and Peter says, no, not my feet, Lord. And and Jesus says, if I don't wash your your feet, Peter, I don't wash any of you. You're not clean. But then he goes on to say, you are clean. How does Jesus clean us up? He does it internally through his word. And that's the vast... This vast difference between Pharisaism and true growth in godliness and Christ-likeness. Pharisaism says, God, I'm going to clean myself up on the outside so that you'll accept me. True faith in Christianity, truly knowing the Lord, says... I am filthy, not just on the outside, but I'm filthy on the inside. And I can't clean my inside. I can take 10 showers a day and make sure my outside is clean, but I cannot clean my inside. Only God can do that. And that's why we run to Jesus to clean us from the inside out. And then we run to his word over and over and over again that he will wash us with his word. And he does this so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He does this for his glory, but you'll notice that every time God does something for his glory, it also ends up being for our benefit. So he is cleaning up his church through the word, and we're the ones who benefit. That's why Jesus prays for us in John 17, 17. Sanctify them with the truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed that way. And I believe he's still praying that way because he is seated now at the right hand of God as our high priest. And he is praying for us to be sanctified. But he's praying for us to be sanctified through the word. You don't get cleaned up on the inside in a vacuum. You've got to have something coming into you. And that is the word of God. Scripture is clean. It has the power to cleanse our hearts because it is pure truth. Number two, notice that God's word is also permanent. God's word is permanent. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So this fear of the Lord is also true and righteous. Why? Because it's connected to the very nature of who God is And because it is the very word of God who has always existed, his word endures forever. What a great comfort that is because man's theories come and go. They come and go. They change all the time. They're like withering grass and fading flowers. But God's word remains the same. In Isaiah 40, uh, the prophet testifies this, a voice cries, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. My wife and I love to work in our yard and plant new things and prune old things and transplant things all over the place, but we both love the daffodils in the, morning, in the spring. In Wisconsin, the first sign of spring was a robin in your yard. In Ohio, the first sign of spring is a yellow daffodil. <laughs> yeah. I love daffodils. I just wish they lasted more than a week or two. <laughs> And same with tulips and same with the peonies that I pruned off uh, the bushes last week because they were all dead. They were gorgeous for a week. And now they're dead. Flowers are like that. Grass is like that. Scripture is not like that. Scripture endures forever. Forever. And the unfading scriptures provide the gospel seed that the Spirit uses to cause us to be born again, to experience the new birth. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that is, by your faith in the gospel, that's what he's talking about, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. How, Peter, how were we born again? How did we experience the new birth? You're born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The living and abiding Word of God is what the Spirit of God causes uses to cause us to be born of God, to, be, to experience the new birth. There are only two things that last forever, the word of God and the souls of men. The word of God and the souls of people. Those are the only two things that last forever. So we should give our lives to the study of God's word and the application of it to our souls and to the souls of others. This is an internal, and eternal, and internal investment that you'll never regret. Thirdly, then notice verse 11, excuse me, verse 10. We're skipping 11 today. God's word is priceless. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honey comb. Scripture advertises its own value. Its own value is priceless. It is a treasure. And to the one whose soul has been revived by the gospel and whose life is being transformed by its inward working power, scripture becomes more and more a prized possession. Something we really, really, really love. The reason for this is because in contrast to what we tend to love naturally of the flesh, is that God has a very different definition of success than you and I have, or that the world has. The world defines success as what? The accumulation of stuff, right? And status and position and how many people you know, and how many people know you. God says success is defined by what we do with his word. Joshua testifies of this as he's emerging as the new leader of Israel after Moses died. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Young people, you might be thinking of the future. What's the most successful thing I could do? What's the most appealing job that's out there? And I'm not saying don't do what you want to do. If you're following the Lord and you're loving him with all your heart, he's going to lead you, he's going to guide you, and the things you want are going to be the things that he wants you to want. But the question is, how often do we let the world define our choices? Instead, let me challenge you, no matter how old you are, If you're 6 or you're 60, if you're 8 or you're 80, do this to be successful. Take God's Word into you, meditate on it, so that it becomes a part of you, so that then you do what is written in it, and you follow the Lord. You'll never regret following the Lord. Never. Never you may pour your all into pursuing something that the world says is a a success, the end of your life. It's not going to be the success that you were longing for if you did it apart from following Christ first, loving Christ first, pursuing Christ first. And no matter what vocation God calls you into, Glorify Christ. If you are a secretary, then glorify Christ. If you are a plumber, then glorify Christ. If you are an electrician, glorify Christ and love Christ more than anything. If you are in one of the the social fields of, of, of work in helping people, then do it with the love of Christ praying that God will use your compassionate, empathetic love to open doors where you might speak the truth of Scripture into the needs of people's hearts. Because God places his people in any and every kind of area of work as salt and light in this world. Love God. Love his word. And then do what God leads you to do. Pour your life into the souls of people. And you will never regret it. What comes to your mind when you hear the word success? Is this what you think of? Success in life is knowing that I know Jesus and that I love him with all my heart and I love his word and I'm pursuing his word and I'm doing what his word tells me to do. If you have that confidence, then it won't matter what the rest of the world says to you. It won't matter if the rest of the world says, you know, you're a loser, you're a failure. Why did you spend your life doing that? We will never regret following Christ with all of our heart and loving his word. Not only is the word valuable, but it's sweet, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. There's nothing sweeter in this life than knowing Christ and following Christ and following his word. I pray that God will help us to grow in these areas. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given it to us. What an immeasurably valuable gift the scripture is for us. And Lord, we just have one really short life to live and we want to make it count for eternity. And so I pray for every one of us, Lord, that you will continue to work in our hearts, that we will love you more and more, and thus the world less and less. And we will love your word, and we will take it in, and the Spirit will use it to continue to make us like Jesus, transforming us from the inside out. Help us to grow in these areas for the glory of our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.